Concierge practices promise less stress, better quality of care for your patients, and better quality of life for you. Join us to discover if you are a good candidate for a concierge practice. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today in the studio is Roberta Greenspan and Tracy Zirin of Special Docs Consulting, a firm dedicated exclusively to converting traditional primary care medical practices to concierge models. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. Roberta, how do you determine a good candidate for a concierge practice? What criteria do you look for? Well, one of the first things we look for is a sense of charisma and good bedside manner when we speak to these physicians on the telephone. And most of the prospective clients that we deal with do give us a call just to make some general inquiries. But if we're talking about um, getting down to the nuts and bolts of what would qualify a physician, certainly the length of time that they've been in practice and specifically in the same location so that there is a sense of loyalty to that physician. We like to see a physician that has been in the same community and or in the same general location within that community for a bare bones minimum of seven years. So you're looking for someone who's been around, patients uh, are loyal, and he's not brain dead, basically. (laughs) He has a personality. Absolutely. For people sitting in the car, doctors sitting in the car kind of uh, fantasizing about improving their lives and perhaps transitioning, let's give a little quiz. Let's call it the Cosmo Concierge Quiz. And let's ask six questions that doctors can ask themselves in the car. And if they answer yes to them, they'll know that they are a good candidate for transitioning their practice, and they can call you guys and change their lives. So, Tracy, let's take the Cosmo Concierge quiz. Give me six questions for the docs in their cars. Okay. The first one would be, how long have you been in the same location in the, in the community? And if the answer to that is greater than seven years, then you can answer yes to that question. Okay. Um, the second question would be, how many active charts do you have in your practice? These are patients you've seen within the last 18 to 24 months. And if the answer to that is a minimum of 1,800, you can put a check mark in the yes column. The socioeconomics of the area is a little bit, uh, it's not as clear cut, but a very rural a blue-collar area where there is no out-of-pocket excess cash for your patients, certainly that would be a tough sell for a concierge physician because the patients need to have at least some out-of-pocket extra to be able to pay an annual fee. The fourth aspect is patient loyalty and relationship with the physician. You can have patients that have been your patients or you've been in an area for 20 years, but if you haven't been the one that has taken care of those patients in those 10 or 20 years, if you have a PA practitioner mm-hmm. or a um, Uh, someone who's helping you, and they have the better relationship with the patients, then that's a very important part. Finally, what is the current patient experience that your patients have when they come to your office? Are they waiting 30 minutes? Are you not able to follow up with them, call them back with both abnormal and normal results? Are your patients looking for a little bit more of your time and personalization? So, Tracy, you mentioned if a doctor has a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner working with him, 
that might be considered a negative to transitioning to a concierge, but let's say they love the PA and the PA is going to stay with the doctor. Do you see that model continuing with any concierge practices? Uh, Yes and no, and I'll tell you why. When patients are paying a premium for a higher level of care, they want the doctor. They don't want that return phone call with their lab results to be coming from the PA or the nurse practitioner. They want the physician. I know two guys that uh, have transitioned over, and prior to transitioning over, they were the kind of doctors that were already calling their patients back and staying in the office till 10 at night and uh, spending an hour with their patients. So the only changes I've seen in them are um, they're getting home a little earlier at night, but they're still providing the same quality of care that they did before. So to me, it appears they're still likely to burn out just because they are incredibly giving, compassionate doctors to begin with. Can anyone comment on that? Part, you're saying that these two physicians are concierge? Correct. Okay. The difference is that when you talk about percentages, it's much, much easier to give that kind of personal chunk of yourself to your patients when you're only dealing with 500 patients than when you're dealing with 2,500 patients. So you're spread a little less thin. Well, one of the key questions that comes to us with great frequency from the docs who call is, oh, aren't I going to be at the beck and call of these patients? Now they have a sense of entitlement that they've paid for something and they own me and they can call 24-7. On the contrary, we find there's a renewed level of respect because the physician is able to really focus in and spend quality time with that patient a longer office visit, much better eye contact. By the way, just as parenthetically, there have been studies done that show that within 25 seconds of a patient relating what's going on for an office visit, they're interrupted by the physician. Sure. Yeah, there's actually there was a recent article in the New York Times saying that doctors yes, exactly. are too chatty. They're talking too much about themselves instead of letting the patient talk. They're also hyper and running and... and Sure, they're in our schedule. They have... They got to get out of the room. Exactly. So we find that they're not burdened by middle-of-the-night phone calls with nearly as great a frequency. It would be my fear that I'd be getting calls all night long. Doctor, I've got a hangnail come to my house. You're saying that that's not really happening, that they are actually respecting the doctor for a change. Much more. That's nice. So what are some other potential pitfalls of becoming a concierge doctor? Well, I was going to add one more thing to the checklist, which conversely, if they can't put a yes, would be a pitfall. And and I think that comes full circle back to my saying at the beginning that there's a sense of charisma and you said they shouldn't be brain dead. There is a, a wonderful sense of confidence. This physician who transitions has to be really ready to take that leap of faith and have confidence. They have to be able to look that patient in the eye and be comfortable explaining to that patient why they're doing this, comfortable with a sense of, I'm worth it, I'm worth the $1,500 a year or $1,800 a year or whatever their fee's going to be. So conversely, a huge pitfall would be if that physician has a bad day and they're being berated and told that it's all about greed and it's all about them. And that happens in the most successful transitions. 
physicians still have a bad day. So I think it's very important that there's a strong sense of self-confidence and self-worth. Tracy, I'm wondering if anyone who has transitioned has actually failed at it and had to go back to the old school of practicing drudgery all day. Well, we're happy to report that with special docs consultants, the answer to that is no. And part of the reason for that is that we are very selective about who we choose to take on as clients. And I think a big part of our success is based upon the fact that we look at each of our clients' practices very individually and very personally. We expect that we treat our physician clients as we expect they will treat their concierge patients. It is not a one-size-fits-all model. So we look at their practice, their goals, and help to build their practice for them so that it is a practice that they can feel comfortable with. For example, we have some clients who get to 300 patients and they say, I'm done. I'm busy, as busy as I want to be. Uh, I'm making a good enough living and I'm happy and this is where I want to be. And then we have very type A driven clients who uh, at 600, we tell them, that's it. You're done. Enough is enough. Let's talk about the doctor who has 300 patients. And let's assume that his fee is, just for argument's sake, um, $1,200 a year. So what's 300 times 1,200? Help me out here. 360. So he has $360,000 coming in before he sees his first patient. Obviously, he has overhead. He has staff. So let's assume He's got a, a 50% overhead. So his salary is now $180,000 before he has seen a patient, which is good for, for um, seeing 300 patients. Mm-hmm. What does he do in terms of uh, every patient visit? Do they still pay their co-pays if, they, if he does a procedure on them? Does he charge? First of all, he has to charge something to a patient when they walk in the door because the biggest pitfall uh, of a concierge patient and one of the things that we pride ourselves on is keeping our docs legal. And the last thing we want them to be perceived as is is an insurance company. So their patients really need to pay something, some sort of an office visit fee when they come in. Now, what about if they're Medicare patients? What happens? Can you can you no longer see Medicare patients or you can no longer accept Medicare Absolutely fees? not. In fact, Medicare is, uh, we have found no issue with concierge practices in Medicare. Obviously, you have to make sure that nothing that you are uh, doing and offering as part of your annual fee is a Medicare-covered service. And again, we work very hard. We have an attorney that we work with that's a concierge-specific healthcare attorney that does a good job of keeping all of our clients well above board. And we're happy to report that none of our clients have ever been scrutinized. Do they keep their PPO contracts or do they all go out of network? De- totally depends. Um, and it's, a ve- it's very state-driven, actually. In California, they seem to be a little bit more friendly. And many in of Texas. our clients in Texas are able to stay in uh, PPO contracts in Illinois. Most of them get out. So how do I sign up? I'm a little shy. I'm afraid to talk to people. Do you think I would qualify? You know, how much do your patients love you? What's the patient loyalty factor? It's interesting because we have a few physicians who um, appear to be at the outset and, and initial meeting a little bit on the shy side, but 
when we make our site visit and we uh, go into the exam room and we sit and we watch that physician interact with his patients, it's amazing. They turn into different people. Ladies, we're about out of time, so I'd like our listeners to find out more about you two and, and perhaps just transitioning. So what should they do? What, where do they go? Uh, there are several choices. Certainly, they can go to our website, uh, which is www.specialdocs.com, and that's specialdocs, S-P-E-C-I-A-L-D-O-C-S, specialdocs.com. The full name of our company is Special Docs Consultants Incorporated. Obviously, if you're on the website, just click on the contact link and you can get directly to us that way. You can certainly call us. Uh, the direct line to our office here in Highland Park, Illinois is 847-432-4502. Well, Roberta Greenspan and Tracy Zirin, thank you so much for coming in the studio today. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>